We continue on in the Gospel of Mark today. We are getting very close to the end now. We are in chapter 14, 53 through 72. If you remember, we've left the upper room with the disciples. We've traveled into the silence of Olivet. We heard Jesus' prediction. He said, I will be smitten, the shepherd will be smitten, and the sheep will scatter. And we listened to Peter as he protested, even though they all fall away, I will not. Reverently, we followed Jesus into the Garden of Gethsemane as he prayed, and we watched him continue in prayer with the Father as he suffered in agony over the burden of our sin, which he was soon to carry. Then we saw on the other side, we saw Judas who came with a band of soldiers, with scribes, the priests, all to capture and arrest Jesus as if he were just a common criminal. We saw the flight of the eleven, the unnamed young man, and throughout it all we witnessed the grace and glory of the great shepherd of the sheep. Before us today are the final events of that terrible night. It's a night filled with unrest, pulsating with emotion, anger, fear, doubt, Read along with me, if you will. This is Mark 14, 53 through 72. And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that's made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and he said, What further witnesses do we need? You've heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. Some began to spit on him cover his face to strike him, saying to him, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. As Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with Jesus, Nazarene, the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began to again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. Again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse upon himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down. And he wept. Jesus, we are in need of your grace today. Even as we read these words, Lord, they will fall upon deaf ears. If your spirit does does not move, Holy Spirit, come upon us that we might receive this and receive it with joy. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Back in 2019, there was a rooster named Maurice. 
And this rooster was put on trial in France. The copper-feathered rooster was a defendant in a court battle stemming from a long-running dispute between two neighbors. He was crowing in the early morning, and they did not like it, so the neighbors complained. They asked her, keep Maurice quiet. I've lived here for 35 years. It's never bothered anyone, the owner said. The neighbors, however, asked, accused Maurice of noise pollution, and the case soon went to trial. After a short legal battle, Maurice, thankfully, he won his case. He received $1,000 in damages. I'm not sure what the rooster uses money for. but And he continued crowing all the way up until 2020 when he sadly passed away. His owner was interviewed after and she said, we bought a new rooster. We call him Maurice too. He sings just as well, but he'll never be our Maurice. You can't replace Maurice. How could you do that? Across the street from my house, I do not have a Maurice. I have a Cogburn, Mr. Cogburn. He's our rooster friend. And every morning, sometimes throughout the day even, I will hear Cogburn do his cock-a-doodle-doo. He will blast away. And all this talk about roosters, it got me wondering, why do roosters crow in the first place? What's going on there? Well, thankfully, our tax dollars at work Back in 2013, a a research study was done. Why do roosters crow? Well, it's interesting. They found out that roosters have an internal circadian rhythm clock of 23.8 hours. And so it is built into the rooster to crow at an appointed time each day, usually right before sunrise. So God has built it into the rooster to crow. And knowing that, it helps me have a little more patience with my dear neighbor, Mr. Cogburn. Why do we care? In today's story, we have probably the most well-known rooster story of all time. It's more well-known than all the Chanticleers, all the Maurices of the world. It's Peter's rooster. Throughout church history, if you know any about this about church history, the sign of the rooster was a powerful symbol for believers. During the Middle Ages, after the Reformation, they would take the rooster... And they would use it as an image for churches. They would put it on a weather vane. They'd put the rooster on a weather vane. they put it at the top of churches. And that would show that these were Protestant churches and not Catholic churches. The crowing also made it an emblem of Christians' attitude of watchfulness, of readiness for the sudden return of Christ. We are waiting for the resurrection of the dead. We're waiting for the final judgment of mankind. And I love this symbol because all throughout Scripture, all throughout the covenants, God always gives us symbols. He knows how forgetful we are. And so he gives us the cross. And he gives us the bread and the wine. He gives us the rainbow. And every time we see these symbols, we're reminded something about the goodness of God. Something about his promises. And so like the rooster, when we hear that crowing, we're waiting for the coming of the dawn. I want you to keep all that in the back of your mind because we're going to revisit it later on throughout the story. For the note takers today, we have, unsurprisingly, three points. And listen, if the Lord didn't want pastors to always have three points, he would have added another one. Okay, but he didn't. There's three points here. The first point is this. We see truth is trampled in the streets. The second point is truth's light is covered up. And the third point is truth's light shines Follow along with me. This is going to be verse 53. 
And they led Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes, they all came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. He was sitting with the guards, warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But they found none. They find nothing that they can accuse Jesus with. They have arrested him like a street thug. And they have no accusation. (laughs) Why did you arrest me? Well, uh... We don't know. We're still gathering some people here to give this to us. This is a farce. This is a nefarious gathering. This is a mistrial. This would never even make it in today's world. You see, there was never any intention of giving Jesus a fair hearing in the first place. This is why it takes place at night. This was against the rules. It was forbidden. Jesus is charged during 1 a.m. to 3 a.m. Okay? Then he is going to be executed on the feast, which was forbidden. He's arrested based on a bribe, which is paid to Judas. He's asked to incriminate himself from the witness stand. Will you say this? Can you do that? Will you just go ahead and admit that we're right? Will you just go ahead and tell us that, that we're right? False witnesses are brought in. All conflicting reports, they, that would all be thrown out. It's judicial travesty. And it's being carried out for the purpose of killing the Son of God. Okay? It's being carried out by the supposed moral religious leaders. Just let that sink in. And so we see truth being trampled in the streets. Verse 57, And some stood up, and they bore false witness against Jesus, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that's made with hands, and in three days I'll build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. So they all get together, and even, even their concocted lie, they cannot, get, you know, they cannot get the same story straight. Let's get into the courtroom. Let's place ourselves here in the story. We're in the courtroom. Men are packed in tight. You can see this scene very well. They're tired. It's late at night. The cold night air stands in contrast to the heat from all the bodies and you can smell the sweat and the anger and the faces are red and tensions are high. People are screaming over one another. I heard him say this. No, no, no. I heard him say this other thing. Well, which one is it? No, no, no. You're both wrong. (laughs) This is what he really said. Can we get order? Order in the court. There's tension. The madness of crowds. You've seen it happen. Riots. People are are angry. Take a brief moment to look at their testimony. They, here's the one testimony that sticks. The one thing that rings out. They say this, verse 58. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that's made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Now this is the most diabolical form of untruth. Because what it is, is it's a lie hidden inside an element of truth. It's an element of truth hidden inside a lie. Is that what Jesus really said? No, let's let's listen to what Jesus actually said. This is John 2, 18 through 19. So So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? And John helpfully adds, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. They didn't get it. We didn't get it until later on. Now, if you you were listening closely, you caught the difference. You see, Jesus says, you guys are the demolition crew. 
I'm the builder. You will destroy the temple. That's my body. And after three days, I'm going to raise it up. This raising would be a sign. They wanted a sign. I'll give you the sign. It's going to be the sign that I will be raised up in three days and I will show you my authority and my power. The poet Alfred Tennyson wrote this. He said, a lie that is all a lie may be met with and fought outright, but a lie that is partly the truth is a harder matter to fight. Exodus 23, 1 through 2. You shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be malicious witness. You shall not fall in with the many to do evil, nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit siding with the many so as to pervert justice. We see this sort of thing all the time, don't we? Sadly, I mean, this is, this is why I'm harping on it, because small truths are hidden within large lies every day. And they're all used to, to deceive and to manipulate. They, they're trying to use this against us. They, they give just enough truth in order to make the lie believable. This is why the Bible tells us as Christians we have to be discerning. We need to pray for discernment. We need to know the truth of the scriptures and we need to live not by lies. The Bible says in Isaiah, if you don't stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Another way to say it is if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And so we need to know the truth of God's word. How many lies, I shudder to imagine, have been perpetrated, have taken root in the minds of people about Christ and his church? How many untruths have been fed to so many regarding themselves and their own identities in our day and age? I work with youth. What about middle school and high school kids? Can you even begin to fathom how many lies they are told a single day? Told in school, told by their friends, told from their phones. How many lies are being force-fed to them about their bodies, about their minds, about their self-worth, about their creator? You see, we're in desperate need of truth, aren't we? We are in desperate need of Christ's light of truth to shine. And the thing that we always have to do is we have to let it shine here first. It has to expose our own hearts, our own sinful untruths. And then we carry that light out into the world. John 3.19, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light. Because, why? Their works were evil. And so these wicked men here are standing before the very fountain of truth. Before the light giver. Himself, the wisdom, the light of wisdom and beauty, and they would dare to put him to death based on a lie. Notice Jesus, he's the embodiment of truth. He's a beacon among them. He does not not give them any fuel for the fire. He's silent. He's fulfilling prophecy. He's a sheep before the shearers, and he's silent before them, and it drives them absolutely crazy. It, It makes them so upset that he will not take their little lie. And so then the high priest is enraged and he he says, will you not speak? It's time for you to speak. Verse 60. The high priest stood up in the midst and he asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? What, What is it that these men testify against you? You see, he's baiting him. He's trying to bait Jesus. But Jesus remained silent and made no answer. 
Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? Well, that's the first true question they've asked him, isn't it? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man see it at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. The truth has spoken. And when the truth speaks, when the light of truth shines forth, the darkness panics. The darkness flees. Jesus' truth goes off like an atom bomb in that courtroom. The high priest rips his garments. Everyone is hollering and whooping, and, and all of those who had lied fall back in the shadows. They're forced to do in broad daylight the deeds they had hoped to keep in the dark. And you see, the same is true. The truth always compels wickedness to act in the light. The truth will set you free. If they would slay Jesus, they must now do so on the basis of his claim, not on their concocted lies about him. Beloved, if you claim the name of Christ, then you must do so in truth. We worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And if you're here today and you are playing the part of Christian, if you're acting out a role, if you are living a lie, I'm just going to tell you, you're not fooling anyone but yourself. You are certainly not fooling God. And whatever sin you're hiding today, whatever sin you're keeping in the dark, expose it. You need to expose it to the light. You need to to hold it up to the truth. You need to give up the lie. And Jesus says, I will set you free. Which leads to our second point. Truth's light is being covered up. In Romans 1, Paul talks about how the good news of Jesus, the gospel, is the power of salvation. It's the power of God for salvation. And he says that the righteous will live by faith. They will live by truth. And then he contrasts this with unrighteousness in verse 18. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed, right? It's revealed truth from heaven against all ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth that's revealed. I heard a pastor talk about this one time. What does this suppression look like? And he said, it's like being in a pool and you have an inflatable toy and you hand it to an adult or a kid, you know, what do they do? Well, they may hit each other with it a little bit, you know, uh, the truth. And, and, but eventually one of them is going to sit on it or hold it down and their body weight's going to hold it down. It's going to suppress that thing under the water. And if you know what that feels like, it, it, it wells up, it builds. The pressure feels like it's going to pop or it's going to emerge. And that's what happens with the truth. And it's not only true the, of non-Christians, of, of the ungodly who suppress the truth, but believers can suppress the truth in our sin and unrighteousness as well. This is what Peter's doing in our passage. This is a man whose mind had been illuminated by God, right? He, his heart greatly loved the Lord. He loved Jesus. And now see this man denying the very one who just a couple months prior, he had proclaimed, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He said, I will never become Untrue. And that night he became untrue three times. This was Simon, the one who Jesus had looked at all those years, and he declared, you're my rock man. My rock man, Peter. Peter had not forgotten these things. He had not forgotten how Jesus had for three years been so patient with him, had loved him so well, 
all this light was shining in the soul of Peter. It was love for the Lord that brought him to the inner courts in the first place. He came following Jesus because he loved him. And here's the mystery. Here's the mystery of my heart and of your heart and Peter's heart. Because we are sinful, all that I've just said about Peter can be true of of him and of you, that you can love the Lord and yet we can still deny Christ. Is that not remarkable? You see, when Peter denied Jesus, he was suppressing the truth. He was holding down the truth. He was lying not only to his accusers, but to himself. He was living a lie. This was a lie of expediency. It was a lie of fear. It was a lie of safety. Again, picture the scene. Peter's outside warming himself by the fire. Jesus is inside being berated with accusations. Jesus takes an oath inside. He says, that profession that Peter made months ago, it's true. I confess that, yes, I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. What Peter said is indeed true. Outside, Peter's hearing the gossip and the whispers. And he's scared. And a voice pierces, you are one of them. A servant girl exclaims. Peter stumbles Peter, who wanted to die with Jesus, who said, I'll go to prison with you. He's laid low by a maid, a servant girl. He takes an oath. I do not know him. Jesus inside taking his oath. Peter outside taking his own. The Greek terms that Mark uses here to describe Peter's denial are very telling. There's two different Greek words. One for knowledge, the understanding This is in verse 68. One is for theoretical knowledge, one's for practical. And so Peter, on both ways, before the rooster crowed twice, he's saying, I have not heard of Jesus, and I do not know him personally. (laughs) I mean, that's that's a denial. I don't even, even, I've never even heard of him before. I don't even know the name. I'm just here for some reason. Peter's lying about his faith. He does know Jesus. Peter's lying about his love. He loved him with all his heart. Again, this is the contradiction in the war within all of us. And what happens to Peter, what happens to us, is every time we deny what we know to be true, every time we suppress the truth and righteousness, we wound our own souls. By professing a lie when we know the truth. And why does this happen in our own lives? Well, our courage fails. It was he was scared. He panicked. When when we're faced with the fear of death or uncertainty, how many of us know how this can feel? Does God really love me? Does God really forgive me? Is heaven for real? Can the promises really be true? Here was a man who believed Jesus, loved Jesus, had followed him into the court, and yet denying his love. And denying him that love was itself a lie. He had denied his faith and that denial was a lie. The truth was in Peter. He had covered it up. Just like it's in us and we cover it up as well. How many times? And I tremble to even ask that question. How many times have we here denied our Lord? How many times have we failed to love him with all our heart and soul and mind and strength? with our words, with our actions? How many times have we trampled upon his holy name by claiming to be Christians and yet living an exact opposite of that? How many times have we sinned against our Savior? Now that's a question that will sink you down into the depths of despair. And Satan would love 
for you to leave this place with all of that on your mind and nothing else. But the truth, the truth is what I want you to leave with. Psalm 130. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. Therefore you are feared. How many times, Heath, me, how many times have I sinned? If you checked heaven's filing cabinets, they'd be empty. If you asked the smartest angel, how many times has he sinned? He'd say, I have no clue. There's no record of it. And if you inquired of the Lord, he would say, as far as the east is from the west, I've removed it. God's grace. Grace, God's grace, this will pardon and cleanse your sin. And that's the truth. Do not live by the lies of Satan of this world. Listen to God's truth. This flows into our final point. Because the truth, in the midst of it, the truth is trampled, the truth is covered up, and yet it shines forth in the darkness. Peter has lied to himself, to others, and yet the denial is not the last word for Peter. Verse 72. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time, and Peter, hear it, remembered. Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and he wept. You see, the last picture we see of Jesus is a strong man in tears. The rock man is crying. Luke 22 gives us a little more of this picture. This is it, uh, verse 60. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you were talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Now listen to what Luke adds. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. You can imagine him leading Jesus out to take him to his prison cell. And in that brief moment, he looks directly at Peter after that rooster crow. The missionary William Stanton, he said this, Never forget that the look of Jesus would have been wasted upon Peter if it had not been that Peter was looking at Jesus. You see, this is a revelation of Peter's own heart. It's a revelation of Jesus towards Peter because they loved each other. They loved each other. They knew one another. I won't pretend to be able to interpret that look of Jesus, but I don't think it was, I told you so. Oh, I told you so, Peter, didn't I? You did it. I don't think it was a scolding look. He knew he was going to do this. I think he looked at Peter and then that look was something like, Why have you done this to yourself? Why are you lying to yourself? Why are you you wounding your heart? And then Peter knows the truth. He sees it in our, our Savior's gaze. He sees it in the eyes and he weeps. And that's the beautiful picture. Peter weeps. Those tears are like baptismal waters. They are tears of truth. Because the evidence of his faith were in those tears. The evidence of his love for Jesus was in those tears. His spirit was willing, but Jesus had told him, Oh, the flesh is so weak, Peter. And for all you Peters of the world, oh, take heart. The master's gaze is upon you today. He's looking at you with love. He knows how weak we are. And that same look is looking at us and he's saying, Why are you doing this to yourself? Why are you sinning again? Why are you doing this? Why are you wounding yourself? Why are you living a lie? I've called you out of darkness. 
Live in the truth. You are mine and I am yours. He's calling you today. Give up your sin, your fear, your doubts. Weep over them. Repent over them. Fall at the throne of grace. You who feel today if your faith is so frail, you say, I'm just barely hanging on. I'm so frail today. I don't even know if any of this is true. I want you to see the beauty of this picture. This is a disciple with love and devotion for Christ, and he stumbled. And he's fallen into sin. Do you see yourself here? Peter has failed to love the Lord with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. Has this ever been you? What is the action of the bruised and bloodied Savior? It's not anger. It's grace. His gaze of love pierces into my darkness, into your darkness, and he's offering us a chance of renewed fellowship. This is the gospel. He's paid for your sins. And now come. Come into the king's camp. You are beloved. That dark night of betrayal is punctuated by Peter's mournful tears. And it's still to this day upon such tears that the light of God's face shines. He shines upon your faces. And when repentant tears are shed from the saints, it is like luminous rainbow glory. It is beautiful to see. It is wonderful to see. Though our hearts may fail, though in our weakness we deny him, he makes a way. All the prodigal sons, all the prodigal daughters, run. Run into my arms. Here's a wonderful passage from the author, Jen Wilkin. She writes this. She says, when my parents entered their latter years, they took up a new hobby, keeping chickens. At the height of their enthusiasm, they tended 21 chickens in a hen house. 20 chickens, that is, and one noisy rooster. Roosters crow and crow They crow every morning and they crow all morning. They crow to announce another day, but they continue crowing as long as it is called today. Roosters make a notable appearance in the Bible. All four Gospels record record Peter's famous three-time betrayal of Jesus, punctuated by the crowing of a rooster, just as Jesus had told him it would be. All three synoptic Gospels say Peter wept bitterly at the sound. Our senses are powerful memory holders. Smells, tastes, sounds too. They attach themselves to memories. She says, I imagine what kind of memory the rooster's crow evoked for Peter. Every dawn after that first terrible morning of betrayal, the proclamation of his bitter guilt would have rung afresh in his ears. Carried in the crowing would have been the memory of his own colossal failure. Whatever his relationship with Jesus had been, whatever his calling, it was finished. I'm going out to fish, Peter announces, John 21, 3. They fish all night, they catch nothing. But then just as the day breaks, a sound ripples across the water. A voice, the announcement of a miracle. Try the other side of the boat. Recognition dawns. They haul in the fish, but Peter hurls himself into the water, into the sea, thrashes toward the shore, and there sits Jesus serving up breakfast. Restoration, forgiveness, it is finished. And I wonder as the two conversed, could Peter hear in the surrounding countryside the sound of a rooster? I can't say, but I suspect every morning thereafter, Peter affixed a new memory 
to that clarion call. This was the sound of homecoming. Fear not, glad tidings. Each day the sound had announced new morning guilt. Now spoke a better word. All hail the rooster, that fine-feathered herald of forgiveness, that megaphone of new morning mercies. In our text today, the rooster is on trial. Do you hear him crowing? Verse 62, and Jesus said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. He says, you have trampled truth in the streets, but it will never die. You cannot kill it. I will raise it up in three days. Despite your best efforts to suppress it, one day it will explode forth in a shockwave of glorious light over all creation. In Matthew 27, Jesus is on the cross and we read this. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. And then verse 50, and when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. Darkness had come over the land until Christ, that great and mighty rooster, crowed and summoned forth the light. Can you hear it? This is an end to our spiritual darkness. Can you hear it? The veil is torn asunder. He says, all have access to God, not just the high priest. Everybody's coming in through me. Can you hear his crow? Grace for sinners, forgiveness for scumbags, scoundrels, scallywags. Do you hear it today? Even now I'm waiting with excitement. When that trumpet will blast and that rooster will crow again. And we'll hear his voice cry out, all the hens and chickens, all of us coming out of our coop, all of us to meet Christ in the air. And our tears will no longer be ones shed about over sin. No more over our sin, because sin is no more. Tears of joy at the coming of our King. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so truth is victorious. Christ is victorious. Glorious light shines. There is high beauty here. It's all around us. Love reigns forevermore. That's the story. The rooster brings healing in his wings. May we never, ever, ever, oh, when Mr. Cogburn crows, (laughs) I'm going to remember this. Forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus. If you do not know Christ, I want you to hear that rooster crow every single hour. I hope that your rooster's in your neighborhood. I know people are keeping chickens. I hope your rooster keeps you up every single hour, on the hour, and every single time you hear that rooster crow, you're going to think to this sermon until you come to the throne of grace, until you come to Jesus, until you weep tears, I'm going to ask that rooster to crow. Christ gazes upon you. Look. His voice is calling. Listen. His gift of grace is offered. Receive it. I'm going to close with lyrics from uh, Keith Green, who I just love so much. He has a song called My Eyes Are Dry. And it's just a beautiful prayer for all of us Peters today. He sings this. He says, My eyes are dry. My faith is old. My heart is hard. My prayers are cold. And I know how I ought to be, alive to you and dead to me. But what can be done for an old heart like mine? Soften it up with oil and wine. The oil is you, your spirit of love. 
Please wash me anew with the wine of your blood. Let's pray.